Yes, it is a Zinzendorf hymn. They're very distinctive, they're quite emotional. There's a real engagement with reality uh, in his hymns. Uh, he wrote in a time of uh, spiritual awakening, but also real difficulties and uh, persecutions for the Moravian uh, people. Uh, really, this hymn could go very well with the, the whole letter to the church in Rome. O Lord, enlarge our scanty thought to know the wonders thou hast wrought. That's chapters 1 to 11. What is it that God has done? Uh, the first 11 chapters are stupendous, remarkable, uh, unbelievable. Talking to a little child in a farm church on the swing afterwards, uh, I find it hard to believe. I find it hard to believe. Well, you know what? Lovely opportunities. Just, just lovely. How did you spend your Sunday afternoon? Well, folks were at the farm. We sang little words, then fellowship, and uh, just pushing a child on, on the swing. Well, I had to say, you know, ask God. And uh, the Lord, uh, he helps you to believe. He, he, he gives you faith and we can't work it up ourselves. It's a gift that he gives to us. Oh, Lord, enlarge our scanty thought. How can we know these things are true? God tells us these things are true. And, and that changes everything. The wonders that God has wrought. And in the view of the mercies of God, says Paul, the opening verses of chapter 12, I make an appeal to you. It's a shame. It's sad he has to make an appeal to Christian people. To present our bodies, something physical, what do we what do? We do? It's not just meditating on, on truth, it is that, but then there's a galvanisation into action. If you have God's mercies, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable service or logical conclusion to the truth that uh, Paul has been inspired to, to write down. It's a logical response that we would give our whole lives to him, not being conformed to the pattern of the world, but transformed through the renewing of our minds. And that by testing, we might discern the will of God, his good, acceptable and perfect will. There's the general will of God in the word of God. And then, but what does he want me to, who do I marry? Where do I live? What job? What church? What book do I read next, Lord? Well, submit yourselves to him and he will lead in the particulars as well as in the generalities. And, and how do I serve God? Will I use the gifts that he has given to me? Verses 3 through 2, 8. Use our God-given gifts. Well, are we doing that? We thought about what the gifts are. And then, last time we thought about how we can discern what our particular gifts are. How do I know what my gift is? Every Christian has a gift or gifts to varying degrees. We're either five, two or one talent people. But God gives us gifts according to his good pleasure. And we are to use them. So to use them, I need to know what they are. And then I need to get on and to use those gifts but then we come on to this section here in what manner do I use my gifts I've got my gift I know what it is for, for me um, I, I discovered fairly early on 
after my conversion, I could speak. I was asked to speak within four months of being converted to the Christian Union Christmas carol service. You give your testimony. And, uh, and I did, and people seemed to be helped just telling how I came to faith and then speaking in the open air with Christian Union things. It was a great training ground working in, uh, with, with a Christian Union and students together. And uh, there was a, a gift, and you seek to, to use it and develop it and hone it. And uh, um, folks on the, the door, and um, it's Dave Williams tonight, and he, he, you know, he does an all right job. He's got other gifts. This morning it was Dave Elworthy. He's got a lovely manner on there, just lovely. Oh, so welcoming, smiley. There's something convincing and genuine about his... Uh, his gift there. We've all got gifts. We find out what they are and we use them. But we thought about that last time. But how? In what manner? Well, here it is then. Verse 9 through to 13. It's about grace. Let love be genuine. Now, it's quite striking that after the list of gifts in Romans, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, see, there are three main passages on the gifts. There's the one here in Romans, the more substantial one is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, you know what follows 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He finishes chapter 12 with these words, and, and now I will show you a still more excellent way. He's talked about the gifts. And then these telling words, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, oh, we'd be impressed. What a wonderful philanthropist. And there are great philanthropists in the world. I think uh, Bill Gates has done wonderful things. He's given away over half his fortune. He's given away maybe over a hundred billion dollars. It's a phenomenal amount. I don't know. I'm not judging. I really don't know his spiritual state. Is it done with love? If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So love, love is absolutely key. And here at the end of the list of gifts in Romans 12, we come on to love. Let love be genuine. And it's the same with the list of gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. It's pretty obvious and clear we're being told something very important. With the list of gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, we conclude with verses 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Love. Absolutely key. Now, verses 9 to 13 speak about graces. We've had gifts. Now we're going to come on to, to graces. But the crowning grace is, is love. It always heads the lists. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But, uh, but love, it's the sparkling jewel. Clearly, 
gifts without grace, and the chief grace is love. So gifts without love, gifts that are used in an unloving way, gifts without love are at the very least useless, but more than that, counteractive. So if I preach here with a heart of hatred and malice, or with an agenda that I want to push, I do great harm. And there's certainly no benefit. Jesus speaks these really chilling words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, there's some enthusiasm here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus doesn't deny that. That's the chilling thing. So prophesy, here's a modern day prophet. There's one standing here. The spirit of Jesus declaring the gospel, the spirit of prophecies, the testimony of, of Jesus. So here's a, here's a prophet, a pastor teacher. And uh, it's quite a gift to, to be given. How is it being used? And I will tell them, I'll declare to them, I never, here's the issue, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of, of lawlessness. So to have a gift doesn't prove anything. But to have grace confirms everything. Confirms everything. What you do isn't the important thing. How you do it is everything. So we come to this section here. As I was thinking about that this afternoon, that song was going through my head. And I thought, what are the actual words? It ain't what you do. It's the way that you do it. You know the one? That's what gets results. That's what it, I didn't know that it said that. It's not what you do. Not what you preach, not what you teach. Not how you welcome, not how you serve. Not how you make flowers, not how you give out tracts, not how you go door to door, not how you stand on the street corner. But it is the way that you do it. And the way that God demands is with a heart full of grace, full of grace. And the chief of these is love. So that opening statement in verse 9 is, is key. It's like another headline let, what a, what, a, what a statement, <laughs> let love be genuine. Can there be ungenuine love? Well, obviously so. Let love be genuine. It's the headline. Here's the herald going out. This is the headline. Read all about it. Let love be genuine. That's the key thing here. Let love be genuine. And the literal translation is let your love be unhypocritical. Another translation puts it this way. Let love be not a mask. Let love be genuine. Let it be unhypocritical. Let it be not a mask. May your love not be a religious sickly veneer of niceness. What about being nice this morning? 
Response to Jesus preaching in the synagogue. That was nice. What a nice boy. We know his dad. Isn't he the carpenter? Nice words. Our love can be nice. And a veneer of niceness that actually covers a heart of gossip, slander and malice. Self. My agenda and what I want. And that's all that really matters. But love is patently different to that. And you know it when you see it. And you know it when you don't see it. His absence is obvious. His presence is so refreshing. Love. It is agape. A-G-A-P-E is the actual word here. And um, interesting, the Greek is ho agape. Uh, the love. The love. Let the love be genuine. And this is the love of loves. It's love divine. All loves excelling. It is agape. We thought about it a little this afternoon in, uh, in farm church. It's It's love without a reason. It's love that is actually unreasonable. It's not I'm going to show some favour towards you because you've shown some favour towards me. If God dealt with us like that, we'd all be totally lost. This is love divine or love's excelling, love without a reason, love that is unreasonable. When it comes to God, that statement in 1 John 4 verse 16, God is Love. God is the love. Theos or Agapos. Powerful. Now, it is the love of God that is that dynamic attribute in his being that moves all others. A dynamic attribute. Others are static. He is... um, All-knowing. That's immensely impressive to me. He is everywhere. It's immensely impressive. But these are static attributes. But when we say that God is love, moves him, galvanizes him into action, to movement, from eternity to eternity, creating, sweeping into time and space, interacting, Gathering and establishing the love of God, that dynamic attribute that moves all others. His his foreknowledge, his progenosco, the foreknowledge of God. That knowledge before the creation of the universe. And it's genosco, it's that intimate knowledge that uh, uh, a man knows his, his wife and it's intimate and it's powerful, so it's... It's to for love. So God so loved the world. Here's the dynamism of it. He gave his only begotten son. Jesus, that whosoever believes. Now you're a whosoever listening at home and here in the chapel, so it includes you. Here's the good news. He gave Jesus so that whosoever, and we're all sinners, believes on him. And with it comes its twin repentance. Can't have one without the other. Shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. So, the banner headline, and it comes to you and to me as children of God. 
We've got to imitate him. We've got to be like him. And one day we will be exactly like the Lord Jesus. That perfect man that's in heaven will never reach his divinity in that sense. He's unique, but in that humanity, when he appears, we shall be like him. Let love be genuine. And I think that's a key word there, let. It shows that we need to work at this, and it's not just going to happen naturally. It's not let go and let God lay down, fall asleep, and we'll wake up. and all oh, you've got to work at this, because as we read in Romans chapter 6 and 7, there's a battle going on. Flesh, sin, and outwardly the world and, and the devil, it's a real battle. I can come back in at myself and be self-centered. No, let, let love be genuine. This love has no self-interest. This is the love of God that's poured out into my heart. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, this agape, has been, and it's generous now, poured, not dripped, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a test. Am I really a Christian or have I got the religious facade? Is it real? And this love should galvanize me. So let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Little rider come in now. Hold fast to what is good. I, I hate, I abhor, I shun what is evil. Sin and self. And I hold fast. The word is, is used for glue. Be glued to that which is good. That's God serving others. Righteousness. And then we come on to this wonderful list. The practical Outworking in a church. Signs of life. Grace. It's wonderful. Grace. It's a charming sound. Harmonious to the ear. The grace of God unleashed within you and me. That we become little copies of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a church that would be. Oh, what a church that would be. That Jesus is sat in each pew upstairs and downstairs. What would it be like? What would it be like? Well, like this. We've got a list here. We've got a picture. The Spirit should paint a picture for us. Now here are the marks of a true Christian. So it is a test. Don't, don't avoid the test. If you fail it, it's good to know you failed. So you can look to find the real thing. As we said as we started Romans chapter 12, this should be far more painful in searching the Romans chapters 1 to 11. With the doctrine, we can say, oh, Glorious. But when it comes to the practical application, that's painful. What You mean, I, I should be like this, but I'm like this? And the Spirit says, but don't despair, I'm here to help. Here to yield to me, yield to me. So here's the first thing in the list. I think there are ten, we'll move quickly through them. So let love be genuine, there's the banner. Little rider, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now, the word for love has now changed to phileo. In fact, we got Philadelphia, two workings of phileo. Philadelphia, which is brotherly love, a love for one brother to another. It's a family love. And then we got philostrogia, which means uh, a parent to a child and a child to a parent love. So let your love, love one another, with a brotherly affection. May it be family love, because you are family together. 
And, and we are a closer family than any human family because human relationships will one day dissolve and finish. But to put it reverently, if you're a genuine believer, we're stuck with each other forever. Think about that. Now you might think, oh, he's retiring soon. Well, actually, no, he's going to hang around and then you're stuck with me forever. What about, are you happy about that? How's your heart feeling about that right now? Is that, oh, I've got some thumbs up. I've got so you're lovely, good to see that. We're stuck together for eternity. Isn't that marvellous? How wonderful. Well, let it show that we actually do love it. And this now phileo. See, some say, well, the Bible says I'm to love him, but I don't have to get on with them. Well, here it is. You've got to get on with them. Because it's phileo now. And it's a brotherly family love that we should have for each other. So uh, love one another with brotherly affection. Weep with those who weep. We're coming on to in verse 15 later on. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Look at the second part of verse 10. It just gets uh, higher and higher. Now, come, look, we're painting the picture. I'm thinking, am I like this? I want to be like this. Do you want to be like this? Spirit, help me to be like this. And every member of the church to be like this. Because now we come to a love rivalry. Second part of verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honour. That's a good one, isn't it? Outdo one another in showing honour. It's a little bit like there's a parallel statement in uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's the world. But in humility count others more significant than your Selves. And here it is in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honour. Now the Greek word for showing honour is putting a value on somebody or something. What value do you put on something? I am quite keen on going to auctions and at least I get the catalogues each week. There's one this coming Wednesday down Anthemian Auctions on Newport Road. So a bit of free advertising there for Anthemian Auctions on Newport Road. There's a general sale uh, once, once a month, and I looked at the catalogue, and uh, oh, there's an electric cycle there. Now, me and Jill are thinking about getting an electric cycle each, so it's, it's cheap. We looked it up, and, it, and then there was a little kiddies go kart, and the kids like using go karts in the garden. And then we thought, oh no, we won't, and probably not going to make any bit. We don't value them that highly, they're not the right thing. But sometimes I value something, I put a bid in. And if mine's the highest bid, I, I win it and I get it. And I've got quite a few things in the house that I thought, what have I, what have I got this for? And um, they've been sold on. And sometimes at a profit. But anyway, setting a value, honouring. Now, what value do you, put, do you put on me? Who loves me the most here? Who values me the most here? Well, none of it's Jesus. And the value he puts on me is his own life. And that he would die for me. And that's the love he wants you to have for me and he wants me to have for you. What value, what's the winning bid? If any member here were in auction, what would we bid? Well, bid more for him than for her. Would you wise that? Jesus doesn't. It's the same price for each and every one. His own life's blood. Outdo one another in showing honour. 
And then we come to verse 11 and this strange couplet. Do not be slothful in zeal. I have to struggle with that. I thought, whatever does this mean? I mean, we know what zeal means. Keen. At it. You know what slothful means? Reluctant. Dragging yourself along. So we got this couplet now. Do not be slothful in zeal. Just thinking about it, it seems a contradiction, but I, I think I get what he says. I mean, you often say about somebody, once he gets going, he's all right, once he gets going. Once he puts his mind to it, you can't stop him. It's a bit slow in getting going. Now, so it's, that's being dealt with here. Don't be slothing your zeal. Get going straight away. You know the old cars? I remember my auntie Kath, she had, uh, I've got a vivid picture, I think it'll be about four or five. It's pouring down with rain. She's taking me home. The car's in the garage. It's an old Ford. It's a sit-up and beg box. If it was around today, it'd be worth a fortune. But it's pouring down with rain and pouring to cash. She puts me in the car. That smell of leather. I've got it now. Leather, oil and petrol. Can you smell it? And she gets out and there's these big headlamps on the front and they're blazing away. And she winds it up. You know, the starting handle and the car spluttering away. <laughs> it doesn't want to go out in the rain either. Eventually, it gets, it gets going. But today, you get into a car, electronic ignition, you can kind of close it up, push. Little button. It's it's first time, isn't it? Cars are not slothful now in zeal. They're keen to get going. Are you a starting handle, Christian? Or have you got electronic ignition supplied by the Spirit of the living God in view of his mercies? He wasn't slow in going all the way to Calvary. Set his face like like a flint. So let's have zealous zeal, he's here. Oh, what a church this is going to be. What a banner headline, let love be genuine. You know, when somebody says, you know, there's no mask, they've got no hidden agenda, they really genuinely do want the best uh, for you. And then there's this family love and affection, loving, weeping, rejoicing, setting a high value on on each other, being quick to, uh, to be active, Be fervent in spirit is the next thing. And some of your versions will have a little s, meaning your spirit. Some have got a capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit. Some try and have it both ways as the ESV. It's little s, but then a footnote could be big s. And which is it? Is it my spirit that should be fervent? Or should I be fervent in the Holy Spirit? Well, it's obviously both, because my spirit can't be fervent unless it's galvanized by the Holy Spirit. So both are are clearly there. Being fervent in spirit, being hot for Jesus Christ and for others. Not not being lukewarm. The complaint that Christ has about the church in Ephesus, you know, no, Laodicea, you're neither hot nor cold. You're, you're lukewarm. And, and the word here for uh, fervent is, is to boil. It's like a boiling liquid. Be, be on the boil for Christ and for each other. Ready, ready to serve. Listening for his voice. Keen to do his, his will. Then the next line. 
serve the Lord. It's, it's the Lord your God you're serving. Just humbly getting on with things, with an eye to him, we're serving the Lord. It's not for the pastor, it's not for the elders, it's not even for some committee. It's the Lord that we are serving. And then he moves on. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. What's my hope? Well, that was back in Romans chapter 5. And verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. One day we're going to be there. I'm not there yet. The first pastor of this church, he's, he's there now. Um, I think Russ was saying I'm the 15th pastor in over 200 years and Russ is number 14, number 13. I'm pretty sure he must be in glory uh, by now. But that's what's... I'm looking ahead too, and I rejoice in this hope that's set before me, rejoicing in hope. So Christians should be joyful, full of joy. Philippians 4 and verse 4, another parallel little statement, rejoice in the Lord always. Let me repeat it, so it's worth, obviously it's very important. I'll say it again, rejoice. Here's one of those real litmus tests. So love galvanizing me. Humility being a real hallmark. Does everything I do point towards me? That's not a humble person. It should point away from me to Christ. And is there a joy in my life? Even in trials and tribulations. So the next little thing, being patient in tribulation. Difficulties that we go through is my eye set on Christ and on eternity then even in those times of difficulty illness unemployment relationship strains and struggles looking to Christ I sit patiently in a time of tribulation maybe my children haven't come to faith yet could be you know there's a real trial it's a tribulation what do I do about that? Am I, am I sitting patiently? I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned his ear to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit and the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock. Patient, joyful and, and patient. Not grumpy. Not blaming. Far too many church situations, there's the blame game. And it's often the church that gets it in the neck. The church is to blame. My child's not converted. It's the church's fault. They haven't got a proper youth programme. The UIPF leader, he's useless. And the pastor, well, no more use than an ornament in that area. The blame game. And as we've gone through this list here, you might say, well, I don't find this a very family-friendly church. Don't you? Well, you're in it. You're in it. You're part of the problem then. Sort it out. Lord, work in my heart. There are ways of responding and reacting. And the advice to us here is be constant in prayer. Men are always to pray, says Jesus, and never to give up. 
being persistent in, in prayer. Personal prayer, day by day. General time set aside and the arrow prayers we're thinking about with Nehemiah and with Daniel uh, recently as well. And, and corporate prayer, we got the, the church prayer meeting mid, midweek to be, to be there. It's easy to come on, online now, press a button. Lovely to be present in the, the upper hall here. Lovely time last Wednesday night, the old church prayer meeting. Ten of us in the upper hall as one of the breakout groups. But to be there. And to seek the Lord in, in prayer. And he comes now to a conclusion. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, contributing to the needs of others. Not just money here, but it's time as well. We thought about it in the gifts of uh, contribution and, and service. If we've got time in our hands, maybe we can help out uh, a mother who's really struggling with the kids and now oh, I'll look after them. You, you go out shopping and then I, I'll entertain them. You've got some time to do that. How wonderful. Uh, maybe you have got a bit of spare money. You can help this uh, person who's struggling in this particular situation. I don't know. Both. Other things as well. Using our minds, sharing a brain. Not literally, but uh, helping others think through a problem. Contributing to the needs of, 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 I have this pressing problem. Well, let me think it through with you. There's the need of a saint. And, and seek to show hospitality. He concludes the list uh, with that. Showing hospitality. A church should be hospitable, welcoming, embracing. Lady at Farm Church this afternoon, lovely. Be able to chat to, to her. She's been three times now to the chapel are you feeling at home with us? Oh, very much. It's so lovely, welcoming. Good to be able to come here and chat and get to know people a little bit more. A church should be hospitable. And we should be hospitable. Is your home a castle and the drawbridge goes down, the portcullis? It's not your house, you know. The Lord's given it to you. Open it up. Show hospitality. Invite. What a, what a different... We were thinking on rule number two last time in our home group and we got onto quite a discussion. It's difficult for the pastor leading these rules on the pastor. And rule number two was uh, study the pastor's life and follow his example. Well, difficult for me to lead that. And the question came out, what strengths do you see the pastor has? And somebody uh, piped up, oh, you and Jill are very hospitable. That's lovely to hear. That was lovely to, to hear that. And I, I, I said, you know, I, I learned that from my previous church and the church before that. Everybody's homes seemed to be open. And uh, I said it was a bit of a shock coming here initially because I didn't really get invited to places. Not really. Things have changed over the years. But I think we should be open hearts, open homes. It's not my car. It's not my house. I'm a steward. All to be used to his glory, not for me just to hide away in. And here it comes at the end of this list. Seek, search it out, to show hospitality. And there's that lovely little section at the end of, well, sort of Hebrews chapter 13. Who's hidden Hebrews? Here it is. You know that I'm going to read now. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality. There it is again. See, it's very common in the Bible. Showing hospitality. Do not neglect to show hospitality. People coming into the church, making them welcome. Come on through for a cup of tea and coffee. Don't, don't rush off. Don't be a stranger. Uh, opening the home, asking several people together. Of course, you've got to be careful. A man doesn't invite a woman. A woman doesn't invite a man. But a man can invite several. And a woman can invite several. And, uh, you know, get, get carpets and fittings that uh, will take the rigours of children's sticky fingers. And uh, we've, That's why we've got wooden floors, by the way, and rugs. Because uh, ice lollies do get dropped on, on the floor and uh, it really doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, I know angel can mean messenger, maybe it was a visiting preacher. Oh, they know what a visiting preacher was. This is an angel. <laughs> this is a heavenly visitor and they can manifest themselves and some... In this way, says the writer of the Hebrews, have entertained angels uh, unawares. Well, what, what a list. What a list. If you've listened to that comfortably, God have mercy on you. It ought to make us uncomfortable. Otherwise, maybe we just think we've arrived and uh, what's he going on about? But that's certainly, I've got things to work on in that list. And if we all worked on it, oh, what a church this would be. Oh, how wonderful. How glorious. And there the heavenly dove would descend and be glad to just settle. Because it's part of heaven on earth. And this is what it's going to be like once we get there. So we better get used to it here. <laughs> and help your brother and sister to change and to be encouraged. If they are often grumpy and, and difficult, well, maybe you can help. And to have a good look at our own hearts. How, how are you doing? How am I doing? Let's test and let's look to apply. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief time in your most telling word. It is searching. We come under the searchlight of the Holy Spirit, your word. We're glad to say, and we often quote it, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. How very nice that sounds until it turns its light onto the darkness of my own soul. And then, maybe I'm not too happy with that, but Lord, help us to be happy with it, to see the dirt and to be able to sweep it through your word and by the Spirit to be something beautiful for you. Change as we pray from glory into glory to the greater glory of your name. Amen.